Our lesson comes from the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, starting in the 21st verse. Hear these words. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, and I do not like what the New Revised Standard did with the Greek. The Greek says, I believe God. There's no preposition in it. I believe God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on an island. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? I remember it hasn't been that long ago, piled in the car, drove an, hour, drove an hour and a half from Natchitoches up here to Ruston to attend a workshop, a required workshop, a required six-hour workshop. And it was not the bishop that required it. It was not the district superintendent who required it. It was the insurance carrier of the annual conference who required it. Six of the most horrendously boring hours I have ever spent in my life at a required workshop because the insurance carrier wanted to mitigate liability. And at the end of the workshop, there was a feedback form. And it wanted to know the level of my satisfaction with the workshop. Oh boy, did I have some fun with that one. I mean, how are you supposed to measure your level of six hours that you have been required to listen to stuff? Not very satisfied. Did you like the material? Not very satisfied. Did you like lunch? I'll give lunch a five. What was the best part of the workshop? The benediction. Are you satisfied? We all tend to share a big, bad, personal problem. It's one that doesn't get much press. It's one that gets absolutely no pulpit time. Yet this problem is a huge interrupter of our personal spiritual journey. And if you have this problem, you won't be concerned that you have this problem precisely because you have this problem. The problem is personal, spiritual, Self-satisfaction. 
personal, spiritual self-satisfaction. We're too satisfied with who we are, where we are, and what we're doing. We're satisfied with just a little bit of biblical literacy. As long as we know that Malachi is not in the New Testament, that Proverbs is in the Old Testament, we feel pretty good about what we know. If we've got a little bit of biblical theology, that's lanyap for us. We're satisfied with occasional moments of ministry. We'll build a ramp. We'll go on the food truck trip. We'll do Weekend of the Cross. And we're satisfied. We've done a little something for the church. We're satisfied with a little manageable debt because a little manageable debt gives us just a little bit of loose coin and discretionary income that we can put in the offering plate. We're satisfied with our church attendance. It might be once a week, might be once every other week, it might be once a month, it might be once every six weeks, it might be once a quarter, but we're satisfied, we're happy. Everybody else should be satisfied with what we're doing too. We're satisfied with morning devotions. Man, if we can get our morning devotion done in a minute, minute and a half, that's good. Gives us time for the rest of the day. We dug in. We're satisfied with our disappointment with God. With the prayers he hasn't answered. With the sufferings we have to endure. Oh, it's not perfect, but we're satisfied. We're not going to turn our backs or walk away. We're satisfied to be mere consumers of what the church produces rather than faithful producers of ministry and bold participants in the life of the church. We've been satisfied with the amount of conflict we have in our life. It's not perfect. But we, we can get through it. We can make it one more day. That means none of us are grace graduates and we're satisfied with that. And we give evidence and we know that we ought to keep growing in faith. We ought to keep moving deeper in our relationship with Christ. We ought to be following Jesus more closely. But we're satisfied. And because we're satisfied, we are resistant to the grace that gives us hope to change. And here's the hard thing for us and all this satisfaction. You and I serve a dissatisfied Redeemer. We serve a dissatisfied Redeemer. He's not happy with where we are. He wants more for us. That's how it works. He wants more for us. He wants to, for us to experience more of his love and more of his grace. He wants us to experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to allow him to come alongside his comforter and walk this journey of life with us. How's your level of satisfaction? Can you imagine those sailors that Paul was sailing with filling out a, a post-cruise questionnaire? And were you satisfied with the trip? Oh, no, they weren't. 
Their ship was wiped out. They spent all this time hungry and thirsty and battered by the storm. They were in the middle of a journey, and if, it's really weird what Luke does. Luke takes almost the 27th, the whole 27th chapter of the book of Acts, and he describes a journey. And it's like he's writing to the Hellenist and he's trying to invoke pictures of the Iliad and the Odyssey that there's this great journey and Paul is this great hero of faith who has survived the storms and survived the shipwrecks and indeed he did. But in the middle of all this, and the reason I wanted to translate verse 25 so correctly is the sailors are a superstitious lot. They are convinced they are going to die. And you know they're superstitious because you've read the book of Jonah and when the storm came up, what happened? The sailors cast lots to figure out whose fault it was. Well, these sailors haven't cast lots, but they are superstitious and they are wondering who's to blame for all this because they want that person off their ship. And Paul says, wait a minute. Nothing's going to happen. Because God says so. And I believe God. Verse 25 does not say, for I have faith in God. The Greek says, I believe God. There's a difference between believing in and believing. We can say, we believe. We believe in God. We say it every morning in the traditional service at 9 o'clock. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. We say we believe in it. That's our affirmation, but that's not our faith journey. There is a difference between believing in God and believing God. When you believe in God, and this is the danger the church faces, that can become your idol. It's safe to say, I believe in God. People nod their head, oh, it, it, it's nice you believe in God. But when you say you believe God, that means God has laid something on your heart or God has spoken to you in such a way that you are bound by conviction to do that which God has directed you to do. Survey after survey after survey keeps coming back saying that we in the United States believe in God. Well, I want to know, all those nuts that end up on the evening news doing terrible, horrible, rotten, cruel things to each other, are they the same people that say they believe in God because there's some discongruent action right there. Something is wrong. Either the people really don't believe in God or their actions are belying their theology. Paul said, I believe God. Can you? I believe God. There are four things I want to talk about this morning quickly. Now I'm going to do it like this. I believe God about salvation. I believe God about salvation. Paul will say in the book of Romans, and the writer of Hebrews will also say that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. What, 
What did Abraham believe? He was 75 years old and God said, I want you to get up and get out of your father's house. For those of you who still have kids on the checking account, for those of you who are trying to figure out when you're going to get discretionary income, Terah was 75 years old before his kid got off the checking account. So you may have to be patient. God said to Abram, look, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Abraham didn't even have the dirt in his sandals weren't his. He had nothing. And before Isaac was born, Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. In a time when they ought to be filing for Social Security, they're picking out wallpaper for the nursery. It's just completely backwards. It is impossible for people that old to produce offspring. But God said, it's going to happen. And Abraham and Sarah believed God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you believe in salvation? That God loves sinners? That God gave his life bring us back into a right relationship with him, that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a holy life, walked this earth and showed us the path that we might tread and the blessings that we might experience. Do you believe it? Here's the question. Do you believe it for yourself? Over the course of these few years I've spent in ministry, there's kind of a category of person that will come to my office and they'll start unpacking life story. And we'll talk about salvation in Christ, about it comes through us not through what we do, but God's love and grace, that it's a gift freely given. And they'll listen patiently and they'll listen kindly. And I get to the end and they're sitting there nodding and I know what's coming. They're going to introduce special circumstances. Here are special circumstances. Oh, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Hmm. For God so loved the world except for people who say, you don't know what I've done. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, 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 might not perish, but have everlasting life. Abraham believed. He acted on what he believed. He lived out what he believed. We are called to live out what we believe as those who've experienced salvation in Christ. My question is, do you believe it for yourself? Have you experienced God's love and grace and forgiveness for yourself? Or do you keep God at arm's length by saying, Lord, I've got special circumstances. I believe God. 
about salvation. I also believe him about saints. You and I are saints of God. We are the saints of the church. The good thing about Protestantism is we don't have to go to be through a beatification process to become saints. Because we have a relationship with Christ, because we are Christ followers, we are, by definition, saints. And what is true is this, that sinners have a future and most saints have a past. They have just believed God and believed in God's transforming power. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said this, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the pleroma, the fullness of God. The fullness of God in you. Now to him by the power at work within us, what power at work within us, the fullness of God is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations. Do you live as someone who has the fullness of God dwelling within them? What does that mean? It means I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Who said that, God? Do you believe it? Well, yeah. Are you living it out? How are you manifesting in your life the fullness of God? How are you showing to yourself? How are you showing to others? How are you changing the world? Because the fullness of God is dwelling within you. The pleroma of God. The fullness of God. What does that mean? It means God has not held back anything from you. It's all yours. All yours. How's your Monday going to be as you walk in the, the office and say, I'm here with the fullness of God. Give me your best shot. How would it be if you walked into your doctor's office? Hey, doc, I'm here with the fullness of God. That's what you're seeing on the scale when you weigh me, by the way. It's the fullness of God. What would it be if you walked into your problems and say, okay, problems, I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus because I'm here with the fullness of God. And we go, oh, no, we can't do that. That sounds almost holy rollerish. We just want to go through life, Brother Doug, just struggling. We want to struggle. We want to be struggle saints, and the struggle saints get on the struggle bus. Why? Because we don't believe God. We Methodists love to talk about the sanctifying grace of God. It's the grace that leads us on to perfection, that makes us whole and holy. We get pretty satisfied where we're at. We don't want none of that holiness stuff. Might make us different. No. It'll make you Christ-like. So I believe God about salvation, I believe God about the saints, and I believe God about service. We are called as saints to serve in our world, to live before others, a life 
that changes and transforms them. Jesus, in the 25th chapter of Matthew's gospel, talks about this idea of service. And the 25th chapter of Matthew's gospel is part of the Olivet Discourse, and it's Jesus talking about the end of time. Here's what he says about the judgment of the nations. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it. To me. So if I read that correctly, we don't minister to the hungry, we don't minister to the homeless, we don't minister to those with physical or emotional or mental challenges, we don't minister to those who have broken relationships or broken homes, we don't minister to the addicted, we minister to Jesus. You are helping Jesus. That's what service is. Yes, it's becoming the hands and the feet and the heart and the eyes of Christ, but who are you ministering to? You're ministering to Jesus. Wow. I believe God. I believe God when he talks about salvation. I believe God when he talks about us saints. I believe God when he talks about service. And since this is the Sunday that we're returning our commitment cards to the church, I would be remiss if I didn't say I believe God when he talks about stewardship. Uh-oh. This is what God said. It's in Malachi, the third chapter. God is not subtle about this subject. Will you, will anyone rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how are you robbing you? God responds, in your tithes and offerings. Then God says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thus what? Put me to the test. It's the only place I can find in scripture. God said, test me. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down from you an overflowing blessing. There is a mountain of difference between believing in God and believing God. 
The difference is your level of satisfaction. Are you satisfied? In the nine o'clock service, we're all there in our robes and our Sunday go to meet and finery. Choirs in the robes, organist robes, ministers' robes. And as we're singing the opening hymn, the acolytes come in. You know, they're, they're, they're the little people that have the flames and they bring the flames and they light the candles on the altar that remind us of the humanity and divinity of Jesus. And at the end of the service, they extinguish the candles and they take the flame out, reminding us that the light of Christ goes with us out into the world. And it's just one of those moments in church life I love. And this morning, we're singing, How Great Thou Art, and one of the big old hymns of the church. And the organist is at full bore, and the choir is at full bore, and we're all hitting the sea at the fermata and the chorus that nobody can sing but sopranos, and we're all trying to sing it, and I'm watching the acolytes. And Don McGee is coming down the aisle with Joseph Oliver, Joseph is Lamar Oliver's son, and Joseph is about this tall. And I know why Don's coming down with him, because Don's going to have to lift Joseph up to light the candles. And I'm watching him come down the aisle, and the candle goes out. Blasted candle goes out. And Don McGee, being a good Methodist, goes, no lighter. That was also a signal for somebody bring me a lighter. So he and Joseph go back to the back and I can see them in the back corner and they're looking for one of those candle lighter things that actually works. And Don lights a couple of them, lights it and it goes out, lights it and it goes out. So I go back into the sacristy to get a, an old fashioned wax one and about that time, I walk back in, and there's Don and Joseph. They finally made it to the altar. They finally got there. And Don McGee's grabbed one of those, this is what you light your grill with lighters. And he and Joseph are lighting those candles. Don was not going to let that little boy fail. That's the difference between believing in something and believing it. That's the quantum leap we need to take, that we are not satisfied with who we are because Christ is not finished with us yet. Would you stand and pray with me? We pray, O oh God, for your love and grace, for the transforming power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be restless until we rest in thee, that we would not be satisfied until we're home with you. Oh God, help us to follow you more closely and journey with you in a bold fashion.
We pray in your name. Amen. If you've got your commitment cards, I invite you to come and leave them on the altar. I also invite you, if you'd like to spend a time praying this morning, to do that as well. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.